welcome back to the Stephanie Green Show. I am your host, I am Stephanie Green, and as you can tell, I am in a glamorous kind of mood today. Oh yes, I am. I'm ready to be here, and I'm excited for episode two. So, uh, for those who are new to the show, this is an LGBT pop culture extravaganza. Basically, I take you on a trip through Retroville, mm-hmm. and we talk about uh, movies and comics and horror movies and TV shows and toys and everything in between. Everything's broken up into its own little segment, so you get little bumpers in between to kind of signal you when, hey, when you hear the bumper music, uh, the horror music, we're about to talk horror, etc., etc. I'm excited to be here. I love doing this show, and I love y'all. So, first things first, I have to get a shout-out to uh, new, we- new Weapons, Christina, on the Twitter. Uh, she's the first patreon supporter of the show so thank you very much for supporting us Uh, i'm very excited for that because you have unlocked some fabulous prizes Uh, if you want to be a patreon supporter you can just go to patreon.com slash stephanie brie i think it's just stephanie brie (coughs) or 7322 you can find me it's got my face all over it (laughs) oh my god everybody i had a great week uh so basically uh Tuesday was my birthday, so yay! It was exciting. I put this week's episode, this last week's episode, out on my birthday because that was I was that was how I was relaunching my show. So September seventh, that's you know when I put it out. Episode one had a snafu. I didn't know. I didn't catch until today. Oops! I cut off part of one of the segments, so I've re-uploaded the episode with that segment, and I've uploaded the video to YouTube. Individual segments will be uploaded to YouTube. And I've already fixed it, so the YouTube video, if you go to the YouTube channel, it will have the correct uh, video. So that's a couple of different ways you can get this podcast. You can get it uh, through any podcast app that you can subscribe to. You, should, you know, just go to anchor.fm and search Stephanie Bree, The Stephanie Bree Show. You should be able to find this pretty easy. We're on Twitter and some other places. As far as the podcast itself goes, there's also a video format. Uh, topics are broken up into individual segments, and they will be uploaded to YouTube as little mini-videos. And then the full unedited video podcast is available to Patreon supporters. So go over to Patreon and look for us. It's awesome. So, I'm in an 80s kind of radical mood. That's not when we're in the headband. <laughs> uh, actually, a friend got me this, and I just kind of liked it. It's got, you know, it's not really trans colors, but it's kind of a trans it's got some of them in there so i thought it was kind of nice and i wanted to wear it i got a pretty good show today full of energy and i'm excited so yeah like i said uh this past week i had my birthday and it was such an amazing birthday so my sister robin and her wife um uh, took me out to uh we went bowling on saturday night and then on sunday i had an amazing uh four hour uh, zoom call with my With the girl I've been uh, chasing on Twitter, who finally let me call her my girlfriend on that day. So I was excited. I started a new relationship, and I'm so so floating in the clouds. And then uh, Monday, I had the day off because it was holiday. You know, it was a Labor Day. So, you know, I just chilled and hung out with people and did good, fun things. Tuesday, obviously, was my birthday. My sister made me a chocolate cake, and it was delicious. Oh, my God, it was delicious. And then I caught up with some old friends and made some major life decisions. One of those life decisions I'm going to kind of give you a brief update on, because this show is LGBT, uh, very pro-LGBT. I am a trans woman myself, a transgender, uh, queer, bisexual woman. Uh, That's how I'm 
currently identifying. So if you are LGBT or you're an ally of the LGBT community, great. Please support the show. We need more LGBT creators out there making fun and entertaining content. That's just for us. Of course, allies, it's for you too. Haters, buzz off, as you know, a certain someone would say in a Fifth Element movie that we'll talk about when we get there. Yes, that's you, all you transphobes, all you homophobes, all you haters, all you bigots, buzz off. Go away, we don't need you here. Okay, everyone else, hey, thank you for coming to my little slice of the world. And uh, yeah, so what's the big announcement? Okay, because I am pro-LGBT and I'm, I'm, you know, trans, I'm the T. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to tell everybody that I have fully, fully completely committed to my witchcraft, and I am no longer identifying as a uh, Catholic witch. I have dropped the Catholic. I'm basically, we'll say, walking away, essentially, from Christianity and devoting myself to my magic. So that's, uh, that's something I do. Uh, my previous iteration of this podcast, I went by the name of the Retro Witch. That has been put to sleep, put to bed, whatever you want to call it. That was a fabrication that I did. Uh, we'll talk about that when the time comes. But for now, I just want to say, yes, I am a legit witch. I do practice uh, nature and chaos magic and some other stuff. I've got some uh, things in the works. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't do hexes and curses and things like that, so... Well, and I am no longer identifying as Christian, so that was a tough decision for me, but it's something I felt was worth talking about on this show, because I know most of my audience cares about what's going on in the world, and you now have one more witch out there fighting the good fight. Thank you very much. That's, you know, the main, 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 main thing. So I got a lot of cool topics today, so for my video game topic, I'm going to be, uh... I'm basically going to be reminiscing about uh, retro video games, specifically arcade gaming. So I'm going to kind of just kind of talk about my favorite arcade memories, the arcade resurgence that we're currently seeing, or we were until the you-know-what came along. And then maybe I'm going to you know, mention some of my favorite arcade games and give you a few you should play if you haven't, or if you did, you know, great, great. So that's my video game topic. For the horror segment, I'm going to be trying to uh, just, in general, I just want to kind of take a stab at how do I define horror? What does horror mean to me? Because how many times have I been saying, oh, that looks like a movie I want to watch, and I, I say to somebody, you should want, you know, I, somebody I know who doesn't like horror movies would say, oh, I like that movie, and I was like, yeah, I thought you didn't like horror movies, and I'm like, that's not a horror movie, and I'm like... It is. Maybe you didn't think it was. So I'm going to kind of play around with that. The other topic I have, I have a movie topic. I'm going to talk movie and TV topic. So uh, I'm going to talk about the rise of all elite wrestling, of pro wrestling promotion that is has some people reminiscing of the WCW Nitro Monday Night Wars versus Monday Night Raw WDF back in the day, 90s and to the era, maybe perhaps. We'll talk a little bit about that. What is why that's significant? And what it means for the future of, you know, sports entertainment, as they call it. Uh, I'm going to also got a music topic. Uh, I'm going to ask the question, why did the 80s music stick around? You know, why are we so obsessed with 80s music? Uh, 
Uh, I think I have a, I think I have an answer for that, but we'll see, we'll see. And because yesterday, well, I'm recording this on Sunday, so if you are a Patreon supporter, please support me, Patreon, you will get early access on today. It will be uploaded today, Sunday, uh, September 12th. If you're not a supporter, then you have to wait all the way till Wednesday, which is a few days from now. I'm not going to look up the date. It's okay. All the way till Wednesday, 12 Central, uh, USA time. Uh, well, 12 Central time, I should say. But because yesterday was September 11, or 9-11, uh, I already kind of wrote an article about 9-11, but I still have some thoughts left in my head and some reminiscing to do. So to, this week's hot topic is going to be 9-11, September 11th. It was the 20th anniversary of a day that, well, basically changed the world. I'm going to talk about it. And i got a very fun this or that as chosen by y'all, the Patreon supporters. So again, if you want to help me pick a this or that topic, you only have to be at the base level. Everybody gets to vote in the uh, the poll. And the poll asks, what should I talk about for this or that? If you don't know what this or that is, well, check, stick around to the end of the show and you'll love it. It's a fun little game I play where I pick two things that are very similar. And then I go down the list. I, I create about 10 categories. And I score them. Each one gets a check mark if they, if they get a point in that category. If they're not sufficient in that category, they get an X. And at the end of the at the end of the segment, I tally them up, and I'll tell you which one got the most checks or how they scored, what this final score was, and we'll see out which one is better. It's called this or that. It's a fun little game I play. I make I made it up a while back. I used to do it on my other YouTube channel, that is now gone, so we won't bring it up again. But thank you for coming to my little piece of the world. And I have one more important piece of news. I did say earlier. I did say earlier how, um, I have a girlfriend. Yes, um, her name's Christina. She is a, a, a fan of the show. She watches, so thank you. Uh -huh. And she is an amazing woman, so I just wanted to say thank you, Christina, uh, for being there for me. You make my heart beat in ways I have never felt before. So you are amazing. I want everybody to know how I feel about you, and you are great. Uh, that's the, that's everything that's been going on. Basically, in my world, I usually try to give the uh, segments, uh, different segments, about 20 minutes. Uh, I want to try to bring enough energy for the show. We're talking about a two and a half to two, 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 two and a half to two hour and 45 minutes tops. You know, that's where I want to cut off the show. So each segment's timed out to about 20 minutes, uh, thereabouts. Um, and I don't feel like rambling. So I'm just going to say thanks for coming to the show. And uh, stick around. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> Woo, that's two. Oh, no. All right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, stick around and uh, check out the, the, the topics. And, uh, you know, I'll uh, try to entertain you. Stay cool. Hey, paisanos, it's the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. With the Mario Brothers and plumbing's a game, we're not like the others who get all the fame. Is in trouble, you can call us on the double. We're faster than the others, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Uh. Okay, so welcome to the video game segment. Right before I started recording the show, I was eating a piece of pizza. Yay, just a single slice of pizza flipped over from last night. Uh, it got cold on me, so I didn't finish it. I don't eat cold pizza. I'm mean, gonna candy cold but I don't necessarily want to eat cold pizza. But I wanted to bring it up because 
slice of pizza always reminds me of a man who looks like a video game man character who looks like a piece of pie, pizza pie, missing a slice, and his name is Pac-Man. And he's also sometimes dresses in drag, and we call him Miss Pac-Man. That's my transgender interpretation of the arcade game. Y'all can do your thing. I don't care. It's fun. It's just fun to play along. Alright, uh, video games are a lot of fun. I love video games. I'm a gamer. And so I always put the video game segment right at the very front of the show because it's the one thing I know I can talk about the most. Obviously, I can talk about horror a lot. Horror is a little bit different. But we won't get into why. Horror is its own thing. Okay, uh, and I also like to talk about movies and comics and stuff. So video games are exciting. And since I'm in an 80s retro kind of mood, and I have an arcade-related topic down the road that I think y'all will enjoy, I kind of wanted to take a moment to just kind of run down... Uh, I wanted to kind of run down, not just, uh, you know, not necessarily the history overall, broad strokes, of arcades and what arcades meant, but what they mean to me personally and some of my own personal experiences with arcades, and kind of throw out there some of the best arcade games uh, ever, of all time. And then, you know, talk a little bit about what the arcade scene looks like today and how it compares to the old days and what I kind of think that that means. So I'm going to start off with the very first arcade uh, memory I have. Uh, it was a little town in uh, called Delphus, Kansas. It was this teeny tiny little bar. Uh, it was a small town in the middle of nowhere. You probably can't even find it on the map. And even, I mean, Google Maps obviously knows where it is. But right, back when they used to print maps, you wouldn't find it on the map. And even Google Maps will be like, can you can you try again? So it's this itty little town, and they had this little bar, and, that, and, and, and they had the, this little cocktail arcade machines in the booths, and in one of the booths, my dad sat down and he bought me an A&W root beer, a big old glass of root beer, it was so delicious, and, I, and he gave me a quarter, and I sat down, and this is, I was probably five, maybe six years old, somewhere in there, I was in kindergarten, uh, somewhere in that ballpark, or maybe even before, this might, this might have been before kindergarten, but it was pretty young, I was pretty young, and he sat me down, and he let me play a, a game of Miss Pac-Man, and I sat there, and it was jiggling the joystick, and I was eating all the little yummy dots, and I was trying to get the fruit, and I didn't play for very long. I don't even think I, be, I don't even think I cleared that first screen that first time, but it opened the whole world to me. I mean, arcades were just absolutely fabulous. So back in the 80s, an arcade, a video arcade, was sort of, uh, sort of like a parlor or a game room or a place where they would bunch together a bunch of arcade machines, these giant video game machines that had TV screens, and you quarters in them and you can play them and they were a lot of fun this was where new video games this is where video games were invented basically this is where how they were sold they came out they were machines that were sold in arcades bars had them restaurants had them laundromats had them everybody swimming pools movie theaters kmart had them in the, in the lot remember kmart no of course you don't arcades were everywhere and so i i got to a point uh when i was about um, seven or eight thereabouts, you know, in early parts of grade school, I became obsessed with arcades, so I used to play a lot of them. So, arcades were amazing because everywhere you went, there were machines. There were machines everywhere, and you just dropped more quarters in, and you got to play a game for a few minutes. Uh, so, they, the, the uh, quick timeline, they kind of got their early start in pinball parlors and, the, and in bars and things in the 70s, and then it was eventually they started making mechanical games, you know, amusement games that you would find at, like, you know, uh, a, a, a fair, or maybe, uh, you know, if you go to, like, an amusement park, you know, like a Disney World or something, or Six Flags or whatever, you know, you might find some of those old, like, amusement machines, you know, those kinds of things. And then they started, they got computerized. They 
people and digitized and so they started to get video games you know and this led to the video game industry that we now know and love and so you started to see a lot of great games come along the 90s things kind of started to wane down a little bit you know they were winding down and they were kind of fading away and people were talking like oh arcades that's a thing of the past and those those are going away and it did look like for a while they were just going to go away and in the mid 2000s to the early 2010s somewhere around 2007 to about 2012 13ish we started to see a rise of a new concept called barcades so they were basically this new resurgence of arcades and then since then we've seen new businesses that that sort of merge or mesh the old arcade concept with other things like you might have a, 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 a an exciting like maybe you might have like a facility that's got like a bowling alley over here maybe laser tag over there about a game room somewhere and then maybe they, people, people can throw axes or maybe they have like a movie theater in it or all kinds of these like multi-entertainment complexes and those often do have arcades little games which they include a lot of the newer games and sometimes they have modern reimaginings of some of the classic retro games so i just wanted to take a minute to kind of share some of my personal memories some of my favorite memories and then just kind of run down some of my favorite games and what do i think of the direction arcades are going now and who who do i think are some of the key players so uh, a lot of this is going to sound a little rambly because i'm just going to talk about a bunch of games uh, throw throw a bunch of games out there and say, yeah, this one's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty memorable. But I'm going to start off with just a few key games. So one of the games I want to highlight is Mortal Kombat. I discovered Mortal Kombat. First time I ever played Mortal Kombat was Mortal Kombat 2. My mom worked at a restaurant inside of a truck stop. And they had a game room, obviously. They all had game rooms back then. And everybody was crowded around this guy playing this game. And I was like, what is he playing? And I walked over there and watched him. And he was playing Mortal Kombat. And he did the fatality move. And then, you know, he, you know, played a couple more rounds. And I sat there and watched. And I was like, I was blown. I was like, what the heck just happened? And then, of course, the guy, you know, died. And then he went out of money. And then he moved on. And after a while, after I watched a few other people play, I went over there and decided I was going to play. Now, my first impression of Mortal Kombat uh, this is Mortal Kombat 2, by the way. I thought it was like a beat-em-up, you know, like a Double Dragon or, you know, I had a Sega Genesis, so I was thinking like Streets of... Well, I didn't have one yet, but my friend did, so I was comparing it to that, and I was thinking it was going to be something like that. It was, you know, it was going to be like a Streets of Rage type thing, or, you know. I had played a lot of Double Dragon, so I thought it was that kind of game. You go in there and you just beat people up, because that's what I thought it was. That's what it looked like. And then you start fighting this guy, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess you got to fight the boss first. That's interesting. That's cool. And then I beat... I, beat the boss and then i went on to the next and it took me to the next boss and i was like oh i gotta fight another boss when do i get to play the game so at first i was like this is stupid and uh i remember getting killed the guy did the, the, the computer beat me and did a fatality it was jacks and he did the fatality where it rips your arms off and his blood gushes out of your arm sockets so that stood out with me now that's not my earliest arcade memories obviously my earliest earliest like i told you was playing with pac-man in that bar uh, with my dad in a small town. It was also the restaurant. It was the restaurant. It wasn't just a bar. Um, but over the years, I would play games like Donkey Kong. I have a lot of fond memories of Donkey Kong. Um, every every arcade I ever went to back in the 80s and early 90s had a Donkey Kong machine somewhere. They all had Pac-Man. One of the Pac-Mans, usually Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man, they all had a Donkey Kong. Most of the time, they'd have, you know, like a gauntlet or something like that. So some of the early arcade games I remember playing a lot, and not just arcade games back in the day, but games from that period from the early 80s. I loved Centipede. I, I played a lot of Centipede. Um, I absolutely loved Cubert, even though, you know, I was pretty good at it. I loved playing Cubert. 
And then, of course, Asteroids. My mom was really good at Asteroids, and so we had an Atari 2600 game console at home, and uh, we played games on it, and, of course, we had Asteroids. And other arcade games I played a lot of. I do remember playing a lot of Pole Position back in those early days. And then, of course, Joust. Joust was a game I, I always would look for because I loved it, and I'd go looking for it, and nobody ever had Joust. And, of course, I loved Popeye. Popeye was fun. Donkey Kong, when I was a kid, I played it because it was always everywhere, and it was usually the best game you could find. But I didn't really like it back in the day because it was really hard. It took me a while to figure out how to play it. But I did love Popeye, though, because, you know, he's a cartoon character. So I did play that Popeye game a lot. And then, of course, Mario Brothers. And once we got the Super or once we got the NES, excuse me, I started playing Super Mario Brothers a lot, and there was there were some arcades that had Super Mario Brothers games. Some of them were in the Versus machine, so you had Super Mario Brothers Versus, and then some of them were Play Choice 10 machines, so you had the actual NES version of the game. So there were two couple of different versions out there, um, and so I did get to play some Super Mario Brothers. That was a lot of fun. I got to play that in the arcade, and it was a little different experience than the one you had at home. Eventually, we did get an NES, but that's another story. Uh, some of the other arcade games from that early, from the early period that I remember playing a lot, I remember playing Missile Command. That one's absolutely fantastic. And I already mentioned Centipede, but I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Space Invaders, and of course Galaga and Galaxian. But I, I think I always prefer Galaga. And I love Pac-Man. I love Pac-Man. Don't get me wrong, but I prefer Miss Pac-Man because who, who doesn't? Most people I think do. Um, and then by the late '80s, I was starting to get into games like Ghosts and Goblins. The four-player Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The I think it was four-player or six-player. Uh, I think it was four-player. Um, the Simpsons game, and then of course there was that giant, giant screen six-player X-Men game. I got to play that. I got obsessed with those type of fighting games, which is what we call those fighting games before one-on-one -on -one fighting games come on. So like back when we were kids, Double Dragon, Battletoads, the Simpsons arcade game, the Ninja Turtles arcade game. Those we just call those fighting games. And then later on, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, you know, Killer Instinct, those types of games. We called those fighting games. And then we started calling the side-scrolling fighting games beat-em-ups. And then the one-on-one -on -one fighting games, we just called fighting games. And then that's the vernacular that's used today. And then in the, you know, we started to see a lot more of those punching games. You know, a lot of those beat-em-ups and a lot of s scrolling shooters. Now, when I was a kid, I loved scrolling shooters. So, you know, Space Invaders... And Galaga, Galaxian, and eventually I would get into games like uh, Air, um, 1942 was one that I played from time to time. Um, and then there was also games like, there was R-Type there was and Raiden. I loved Raiden. Uh, anytime I would come across a game that played like one of those, I loved them all. I was always like looking out for those games. Uh, didn't play a lot of sports games. Not going to talk too much too fondly about sports games. I'm not. They're out there. NBA Jam is the only sports arcade game that I put quarters in regularly, and it was the only one I had any fun playing. I didn't play Double Dribble. I didn't play um, any of those, you know, like 10-yard fight or any of those other, you know, arch rivals or any of that. No, those weren't for me. But I did play some, I did play some NBA Jam. Uh, once we got into the middle and the early part of the 90s, middle 90s, we started to shift over to fighting games. So there was a lot of Street Fighter. And I remember every arcade I went to had Street Fighter. But I remember this one, there was a bar in town. This was a whole other town in Kansas. And they had Street Fighter 2. Just Street Fighter 2. The basic, just the base game. The base, basic game. And then the arcade, the actual video arcade, it was a video store. And it was also a snack bar and it was an arcade. 
and it was like, kind of like a little mini restaurant kind of thing all rolled up in one. I also have a little comic book store, but, you know, that's another story for another day because your girl was involved in the comic book store. All right. Uh, anyways, uh, they had Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. This was the big one, the newest, newest one. So if I was over at the bar, I'd go to the bar to play Mortal Kombat, and they also had the Terminator 2 arcade game. So I would go to the little, I would go over to the bar, and I would I would play a round of Terminator 2. This was the gun game that you, the machine gun game that you shoot at the screen. I would play a round of that, and then I would put my next quarter into Mortal Kombat, and I would I would always get four quarters. I would get a dollar. First quarter went into Terminator. Second quarter would go into Mortal Kombat. Third quarter would go into Mortal Kombat. So I'd always play I would always play one continue of Mortal Kombat. This version of Mortal Kombat stands out in my mind over the other one, and it's because this was the one that didn't have the blood. It was all turned off. And the reason why I liked that at the time, even though I was okay with the gore, was because I liked this. I was into the story, and it was nobody played this one because it didn't have the blood turned on, so you couldn't do the fatalities. They were disabled. You couldn't throw them off the pit. That was disabled. If you punched somebody, no blood came out. So nobody ever played that one. So I chose that one because I was into the story. I was into the characters, the digitized graphics, the little little F, mini FMVs where they would do a little move and then they would move around and it looked like a real movie. On a anybody screen, but it looked like a movie. And then there would be text at the bottom, and you'd read it and get all hyped for the story. And I was all absorbed into the story. And I liked that because that's what I wanted. Nobody played that one, so I would go there and play that one. Because the other one at the arcade, it always had a line. There was always a crowd of people because guess what? It had the blood. Now I would go if I was at the arcade and the and the, and the machine was open, and I could get to it. Yes, I'd play some Mortal Kombat. There was always a freaking line, and it was a pain in the fucking ass. Mortal Kombat was that fucking popular. It always had a line. Now, then that last quarter, I put it in that base base Street Fighter 2 machine. Just bare bones Street Fighter 2. I'd play it. You know, I'd, I'd usually pick uh, Chun-Li. Sometimes I'd pick Ryu. But that was usually it. I'd, I'd play around or two. Sometimes I'd win the first round, and then I'd get my butt kicked in the second round, and then I would lose in the third round. Sometimes I'd win the match, and move on to the second fighter, and then get my butt kicked in that one. So I didn't always... I wasn't very good at Street Fighter. But I played it because I didn't want to put... I had a rule. I could never put all four of my... Or all of my money. I couldn't put all my money in one machine. That was a rule. I had... My mom may have instilled me in that. My parents may have said, you know, don't spend all your money in one place. That kind of thing. So I did try to spread it around. But also, I wanted to get the most experience. You know, I wanted to experience as many machines as I could. Uh, now, that other arcade, so the town the arcade, the town arcade, they had a Mortal Kombat machine, just MK1. They also had a Neo Geo machine. And they had a couple of games in there I put a lot of quarters in. The first game they had that I sunk a lot of quarters in was Samurai Showdown. And that was because it was, it was an anime-style game, so it looked impressive. It was very beautiful graphics. It was a little bit bloody, so it was there was always a line at Mortal Kombat. There usually wasn't a line to the Neo Geo, so I would go and play Neo Geo. I would play, I put a quarter in the Neo Geo, and I'd play some Samurai Showdown while I was waiting for the line to clear off at the Mortal Kombat machine. Uh, and then I would play other games, like they had Crystal Castle, sometimes I'd play it. They had a Star Wars pinball machine, sometimes I'd play it. They had a Rocky and Bullwinkle pinball machine that I was like, why? But then all the old people played it instead of the Star Wars one, and I was like, okay. I, I guess. Uh, but that Neo Geo machine got a lot of play because it had another game in it that I couldn't get enough of. Obsessed with, even to this day, Bust A Move. I would 
So I had a, I had a, a list of games I went looking for. I went into an arcade. The first game I'm looking for is Mortal Kombat 2. If they don't have Mortal Kombat 2, or, like I said, if I've only got a limited number of quarters, I'm going to space out my quarters, but game, first game I'm looking for, Mortal Kombat 2. Give it a couple of quarters, and then move on. Now, I never put more than two quarters in any machine. That was a rule I had. And, unless, of course, it was like a birthday, and I had like $10 worth of quarters, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to drop some quarters, baby. That happened like a handful of times in my life. The rest of the time, I have $1 or $2 max. Usually, that was it, so I tried to spread it around. First game I looked for was Mortal Kombat 2. If they didn't have that, or after I had played it, I went looking for Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. Not Turtles in Time, but the first one. The fun one. Well, that's not to say Turtles in Time isn't fun, but I never played it. I didn't even know it existed until years, years later. If they didn't have Turtles in Time, then I would look for Ms. Pac-Man. They usually had Ms. Pac-Man, but sometimes you'd have to settle for Pac-Man and Pac-Man. Those were like the, the ones that I would go looking for. And then after I after I played those, if I had any money left over and I was still looking for games, a lot of times I'd look for regular Mario Brothers. I would play that or Donkey Kong if they didn't have anything else. Sometimes I would play POW. POW was fun. Um, another game that I really liked, but I didn't play it as much as I would have liked, was Double Dragon. I didn't play it as much because a lot of arcades didn't have Double Dragon for some reason. It was kind of a hard game to find. Of course, I would play that Terminator game anytime I come across it. And then I got obsessed with light gun games in the middle part of the 90s. So that's when I started playing, like, Lethal Enforcers, Lethal Enforcers 2 Gunfighters. And then I started playing Area 51, that Jurassic Park uh, light gun game, uh, House of the Dead towards the end of the eight, uh, 90s, Carnival. Carnival was a good one. Uh, I played a lot of House of the Dead. Um, House of the Dead and Area 51 were the only two machines I broke my, no, you know, no, don't put all your money in one machine. If I found an Area 51 machine and I had $3 worth of quarters, I was playing $3 worth of Area 51. If they had a House of the Dead machine, I was giving it every quarter I had because I loved those two games. Now, Carnival, I would play it, die, I'd one continue, I'd give myself one continue, and then as soon as I died, I'd move on. Carnival was fun, but I'm scared of clowns, so... That game, I could play it if there was no House of the Dead, but if I had to play it for too long, nuh-uh, not for too long. Nope, 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 nope. Then we get to the uh, the early 2000s, and this is a weird time for me because this is when arcades started to kind of fade away a little bit. But this was also the time that me and my younger sister were trying to open an arcade because we thought we had a plan that we would open an arcade and we would do it would be partially an arcade, partially a comic book store. We would sell food, you know, mostly pizza and junk food, and then we would also, you know, try to sell retro video games. This was kind of our plan. There were other stores that did things similar to this, but this was back when each store was a specialty thing. The trading card store sold trading cards and nothing else. This was back when the comic book shop sold comic books and nothing else. The toy store sold toys and nothing else. The model train store, etc. You get the point. I had a lot of fun playing arcade games, but then they did start to fade away. Me and my sister had a falling out. We didn't get enough money. I ended up turning my dream into a... I ended up opening a comic book shop instead, just a, just a comic book shop by myself. Made it an online store. And then I kind of moved on. But I have a lot of a lot of fun memories playing arcade games. Um, I want to keep these topics around 20 minutes. And I just hit the 20-minute mark. So just real quick, I'm just going to rattle off some of my favorite games that I haven't already talked about. 
and then I'm going to wrap this up. So some games that I used to play a lot that I didn't already mention. Uh, I used to I used to play uh, I used to play Ghosts and Goblins and Gauntlet a lot. I also love Gauntlet Legends. Um, that one was a lot of fun. I love Rampage. I love Rampage World Tour. That was a game I played a lot a lot of. Um, I played a lot of Primal Rage. Um, I was not into Street Fighter back in the day, so I, I like I said I played that one machine a couple of times and then that was about it. And then. I also really, really, really liked uh, Narc. Narc was a game that, I, if I found it, I would, I would play it. And then, like I said, my favorite, favorite games were Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat 3, and then also I really, 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 really liked that first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Fantastic fucking game. And then I played a lot of Bust-A-Move or Bubble Bobble, Puzzle Bobble, or whatever you call it. Puzzle Bobble or Bust-A-Move. You know, the game where you got the little arrow that goes like this, and it's got colored balls, and you shoot the colored balls, and then pop that game. Bust them is what we call it. So those are my arcade memories. Uh, I rattled off a bunch, uh, kind of rambled a little bit, but what were your favorite arcade games? Let me know. Leave a, leave a comment somewhere. Tweet at me, and let me know what were your favorite arcade memories. Uh, obviously, I spent a little too much time in the beginning, so I'm going to kind of say, yeah, uh, thanks for checking this out. Hope you like the rest of the show, and you know, if you come across the Miss Pac-Man machine, drop Well, hello, ghouls and ghosts and freaks and geeks and everybody in between. Welcome back to the Stephanie Bree Show. I had a quick little break. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm going to talk horror. This week's horror topic is going to be sort of a follow-up to last week where I tried to ask if the 80s were truly the golden age of horror. I didn't get a definitive answer, but I think I kind of settled on maybe not. I think that every decade has its moments, but I do think the best horror ever, some of the best horror movies ever made, came out of the 70s and 80s. I'll say that. That's where my heart lies. I'll probably stamp that. But then I got to thinking, what is horror? How do you define horror? Because I know some people use the shorthand scary movies. And yes, scary movies, especially those that are horror movies that are terrifying, are horror. But to me, I also, I think... It, it, it's not just about, is it scary? Because everyone's scared of something different. You know, if you're scared of clowns, then Bozo is scary. You know, you don't have to watch it. If you're scared of spiders, then any movie that's got, well, okay, any movie that's got spiders in it is probably a horror movie. Okay? Probably. Even Home Alone, that's a horror movie. Because it's a spider, horror movie. Yuck, 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 yuck. Okay? That's my way. That's how I feel. But, putting that aside, putting that aside, um, yeah, uh, horror movies are one of my favorite genres. Horror is such a big part of my life. Like my, I have a bunch of, hundreds of DVDs. My biggest DVD collection, my biggest like chunk of DVDs are horror. Movies, TV, video games, 
comic books. I read horror comic books. I collect horror action figures, although I can't see any right now. I do. I collect horror action figures. And I've got a lot of good stuff. I love them. But I want to ask, what the hell does that even mean? So I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about movies that are obviously horror that everyone can pretty much universally agree upon. I've got a few movies that horror fans will say, oh yeah, those are horror. But non-horror fans will go, uh, technically that's this, that, or the other. And I'll kind of give you their, that spiel and then I'll give you where I stand on that. Of course, there's some people talk about horror comedies and then that there's a spectrum of what is classified horror comedy. Where do you go from horror comedy to dark comedy to, you know, horror with comedic elements to a comedy with horror elements. I hate it when people say it's this thing with these types of elements. Come on, just just lock it down. Lock it down. Lock it down. All right, or it's whatever you want it to be. And then there's a few that are almost horror that I'm going to classify as, I'm going to pin as controversial, and then a few that I'm going to say, yeah, probably not horror, at least to me. So my definition of horror is anything that is either, one, intended to scare you, where so scary movies are horror movies, of course, uh, or it deals with death and the macabre in a way that is central to the, to the story. So for me, if death is a big people dying or even just one person dying is, is a key element. Now, we're not talking war, but war movies can be horror movies. And we're not talking, you know, like somebody dies in a, in a car crash, you know, maybe a drama or a tragedy or something like Man in the Moon, where the guy falls off the tractor and dies. You know, that's more of a drama or a tragedy kind of movie. No, I want to talk about horror movies as in like, you know, yes, scary movies or violent movies or movies that are intended to instill fear in the viewer, uh, where death is at the central focus. So movies that want you to think about death, ponder death, contemplate death. Or, you know, just really concentrate on it. So a few examples of movies I think are universal, universally regarded as horror. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, easy easy horror movies. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Scream. Although some people call that horror comedy. Um, you know, you've got movies like Friday the 13th. Halloween. My Bloody Valentine. I think those are unanimously regarded as horror movies. And you have a few movies that are are horror movies if you're a horror fan, but other people say, well, they're this, that, or the other. So take something like Silence of the Lambs. I know people who will say Silence of the Lambs is a thriller, not horror. To me, thrillers are horror. If, it, if it's a horror, if it's a thriller, it's a horror. So yes, to me, Silence of the Lambs, that's horror. Straight up. Uh, other movies that fall under that would be like Hide and Seek. That's the one with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, the girl who was in everything and then she went away. I think her name was Coda Fanning, if I'm not mistaken. She was in everything and then disappeared. Uh, so, yeah, Hide and Seek, I would classify that. Seven, that's a popular one with Brad Pitt. I would classify that as, that's horror. Some people will say, that's a thriller. To me, that's still horror, you know? Now, you could, if you wanted to get, if you wanted to get down to the degree, you can call it a thriller horror, but I mean, come on, that's just, that's just too many adjectives there, people. Um, reason why I think Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie is because it, it, one, it's about a serial killer, and death is absolutely at the core of that movie, but also, it is fucking 
terrifying. That movie is intended to scare your soul. It is. That's what it's designed to do, and it was successful at it. Um, but then there are movies that that I think is that horror or is that like just dark comedy? Now, I for this I take something like Jawbreaker or Heather's, but we're gonna talk about Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker is about these girls. I think they're teenagers, or they're, I'm pretty sure they're teenagers. They're in high school. I think they're cheerleaders, and they're playing a prank on this girl. So what they do is they kidnap. It's her birthday, so the kidnapper is to a, a jawbreaker with a little candy in her mouth and tie it around her mouth. And they shove her, you know, tie her hands up and stick her in the trunk. And they drive her to this restaurant where they're going to open the trunk and let her out and they're going to party. She dies in the trunk of the car. They stuck the jawbreaker in her throat and it killed her. She gagged to death. And then they spend the rest of the movie trying to frame another guy for her murder, uh, for her death, and then trying to wash their hands of it so they don't get in trouble. Death is at the fo is at the center of that movie, but it's a very weird movie. I'm not gonna say it's happy-go-lucky, but it's definitely not scary, and it's definitely not gory, and it's definitely not, you know, I mean, one person dies in the movie. It's fucked up what they do, how they basically get away with it. Essentially, I say basically because you know. <sighs> It comes around in the end. But it's definitely a movie that makes you think about death. And it's definitely like, holy shit, it hits you right off. You're like, oh my god, they killed her. Here's this teen movie you, you are expecting, you know, clueless or can't hardly wait. And the lead girl is dead. And then the rest of the movie is them dealing, these teenagers, dealing with death. Trying to sweep it under the rug and go about their lives. It was just an accident. It was just an accident, but you know how teenagers are. Now, you take something like I Know What You Did Last Summer where they inadvertently cause somebody's death, and it is just an accident, but then they don't go to the police, and instead they spend the rest of the movie getting picked off one by one. Yeah, that's definitely horrible. But is that any different than Jawbreaker? It's basically the same plot, isn't it? Jawbreaker's not intended to be scary. So that's one I would put it under dark comedy because I don't think it's you could really wedge that in horror. Heather's, I'm going to go a step further and say that's definitely dark comedy, but I would almost put Heather under horror just because they kill multiple people in that movie. Death is the focus of the movie. It's not super gory, but they do depict death in ways that really make you think about it. And so... I don't know if I would really say, but it's not violent, and it's not scary, so does that count as a horror movie? Or is that just a better example of a dark comedy? Because if I want to tell people what dark comedy is, I'm not going to go to Heather's. I'm going straight to Jawbreaker. That's the movie I'm going to show you. What about movies that have a horror aesthetic, but they're not horror, right? Like, a few examples would be Beetlejuice. Or, you know, something like Nightmare Before Christmas, although it's kind of animated. You know, those, those are a couple of big ones. Casper, you know, with Christina Ricci and Devin Sawa and some other people whose names have been long forgotten. It is what it is. Uh, or Hocus Pocus. What, what, any of those four would you classify as horror? Beetlejuice absolutely deals with death. I mean, the main characters die right off the bat. 
Beetlejuice is a scary guy. I mean, there's only one scene that I would say is kind of scary, but when you're a kid, it's kind of scary. The rest of the movie, it's intense. You're, you, your heart is racing. It's not frightening, but it's intense. Does that count? I classify Beetlejuice as a horror comedy. It's a horror movie that doesn't have a lot of death, but it does have a lot of I mean, it has a lot of dead people. And it is gory. It's not bloody gory, but there's a guy who's been flattened. There's a person who was cut in half. There's a girl who's... I think it was the girl that was cut in half. There's a guy with a shark on his leg. There's a guy with a chicken bone stuck in his collar. There's a girl who got her throat slit, and she's one of the main characters. There's This movie's pretty macabre. This movie's pretty dark. But it is kind of a comedy. Or at least it's got comedic elements. Now, I've heard other people classify movies like, you know, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of what is a horror comedy, or is it just horror? Because uh, I've heard people say American Werewolf in London is a horror comedy. No, that's, that's a horror movie that's got some comic relief in it. You're allowed to have comic relief. Having comic relief doesn't make you a comedy. Being a comedy makes you a comedy. Uh, Beetlejuice is comedy. It's not comic relief, but it's also horror. It is scary in a bit, in a way. It's scary for the deets because they don't know if they're going to be exercised at the end of the movie. That's an intense scene. Uh, Beetlejuice, the snake scene. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not the scariest thing ever. Definitely Beetlejuice I classify as horror or horror light or horror comedy. Uh, Hocus Pocus, I'm going to give, I'm not going to give you the bullet points, but I'll say Hocus Pocus is still horror-like or horror-comedy. It's a kid's horror movie. Ernest Scared Stupid. It's horror-like. That's a horror-comedy. Uh, so for me, I think that's a whole category of its own. It's one of those, like, little kid introductory horror. What about The Addams Family? See, I always go back and forth on that. Because I want to say, they don't really deal with death. It is kind of gothic, but they do live in a funeral home. And they're obsessed with death. It is kind of morbid. It's got a horror aesthetic. It appeals to horror fans. It's more goth in a way than horror. Now, goth is... Obviously, it's, it's tricky because it's a lot of different things to different people, but at its core, it's more of an aesthetic itself. So is it a goth aesthetic or is it a horror aesthetic? I, you know, it, having a, is goth automatically horror? If it has a goth aesthetic, I don't think so. But what about... The Addams Family, is it horror white? Like I already said Beetlejuice was? Hocus Pocus? You know? No! The Addams Family is a movie that appeals to horror fans that is not a horror movie. I say that because most horror fans I know thought it was fun. It's a comedy uh, all the way through that has a horror aesthetic. There's some movies like that. What about Casper? You know, the aforementioned movie about Christina Ritchie falling in love with a ghost. <laughs> or the ghost falling in love with her. I haven't seen the movie in like over 20 years, so I don't remember. I don't remember the plot. I don't, I don't, remember, any, I don't remember much about the movie. What I do remember is that's a kid's movie. That is comedy. There's nothing scary in that movie. They barely touch on death. They... They dismiss death. It's very, it's it's jovial. It's very lighthearted. It's almost like death is nothing. Her dad dies and immediately comes back as a ghost, and then he's brought immediately back to life. Casper is allowed to be human. He's come back back to life for one night to dance with 
the girl. Uh, the mom comes down from heaven. No, that's not horror. There's nothing scary about it. There's no blood. There's no gore. So then where, where do I draw the line? At the end of the day, the easiest way to draw the line is to just say, if you think it's horror, probably is. But, you know, is, you know, The Simpsons horror? I mean, not just the Treehouse of Karen episode. Yeah, those probably sure. But it's just like a random episode of The Simpsons horror? Is it because you, you know, because it has Krusty the Clown and you're scared of clowns? No, that's, that's not horror. So I don't go all the way to that whole, if you think it's horror, it's horror. I'm more, it's more of a, I think horror, this is, to me, this is how I define horror. This is why I will sometimes talk about movies that you might not go to when you're thinking of horror. To me, horror has to deal with death. It has to be a central part of it. Whether it's just a lot of death, or it's, you know, like, death is the center, central to the plot, or, like, it's an intense death. It has to make you think about death. The whole movie. The whole time. It has to make you constantly thinking about death. I think horror also has to have... I That's number one. It has They have to have three elements make up horror movie. Death is a central focus. I think... It has to have a, uh, a horror aesthetic, so it has to look like a horror movie. And then, okay, there has to be gore, or there has to be violent, or, um, you know, it has to be scary. So, if it's scary, like legit scary, it's intended to be scary, it's pretty much automatically horror. If it deals with death and, and in a way that isn't light and isn't just a dramedy or a drama or a war movie... It's probably horror. If it has a horror aesthetic and it has any of the other three elements, two of the three elements, yeah, I'd say it's probably horror, horror light, or horror comedy. And of course, if if it's you know gory, but it's you know Saving Private Saving Private Ryan is gory. That's a war movie. So if it's not a war movie, is it automatically horror? No. Like I said, I think. Those are the four elements. You have to have at least two of the four elements. I would say that. So if it's gory and scary, it's horror. If it's scary and has a horror aesthetic, it's horror. If it's gory and has a horror aesthetic, it's horror. If it's, you know, has a horror aesthetic and it deals with death, but it's not scary and it's not gory... It might be horror. It might not. But I do think you have to have at least two of the three elements. Uh, well, of the four elements. But I think you have to... You, you either have to... It either has to be scary or it has to deal with, with, with death and it has to be gory. One of the, it, those are central to horror. If it's not scary and it's not gory then it's harder for me to call it a horror, you know? Maybe a few a few examples, you know? I'll give a, a few examples of movies, just a few random examples of movies and say horror, yes or no. Alien. Everyone says, Alien is a slasher movie. No, Alien is a sci-fi movie. Yes, it's a scary movie, but it's not a horror movie. 
to sci-fi movie. I do not put Alien in my sci in, in with my horror movie collection. I put it in with my sci-fi movies. Uh, Tremors, monsters. They eat people. It's a little gory. It's supposed to be intense. Yeah, it's 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 almost horror comedy, but it's it's a subgenre of horror. It's a monster movie. It's a type of horror. You know, it's it's a type of horror. You know, it might not be the scariest thing, but it was intended to draw some scares. You know, the faculty absolutely. The movie is scary. It is horror. Death is all around it. It's a little gory. It's not super super gory. Well, it doesn't have to be gory gory, but death is a big part of that movie. And it is definitely scary. Um, of course, I think Scream is a horror movie. I know what you did last summer. Oculus, those are some good ones. The Conjuring, The Ring. Mostly, I fall on the... You think it's horror? It probably is. But as long as it has at least two... At least two of those four classic elements. Now, what is a horror aesthetic? That one's a little trickier. Basically, it, it refers to either the, the look, the mood, or the atmosphere. So if it has a if it feels like a horror movie, looks like a horror movie, and makes you think about death, then it's most likely a horror movie. I still think Seven counts as a horror movie. I definitely think Science of the Lambs is a horror movie. I don't know about Species. That one seems more sci-fi to me. Is there such a thing as sci-fi horror? Yes, but now we're getting into a whole other topic. Because now we have to start talking about Pitch Black, or Event Horizon, or Jason X. And I'm not talking about Jason X. Oh, or Event Horizon. Not today. No thank you. Is Pitch Black horror? I rented it thinking it was a horror movie and then i watched it and i felt like it was more of a sci-fi thriller ah pitch black sits in my on my sci-fi shelf on my dvd collection it doesn't sit with my horror movies that's how i tend to decide if it's horror or not gremlins is horror now i'm gonna throw one out there and you're gonna you're gonna answer is this a horror movie the monster squad you decide Thanks for watching. So, it's time for that movie and TV topic of the week, and today I'm talking about, uh, okay, we're going to quibble over words here, but we're talking about All Elite Wrestling, AEW. AEW is a type of wrestling promotion that is televised on television. It's a TV show. It, has, it comes in two different forms, uh, AEW Dynamite and AEW Rampage. So... We're talking about it 
as if it was a TV show. Yes, it is a live-action sporting event uh, that you can go to and attend, but it's intended to be marketed as a TV show. It has characters. It is scripted. That, to me, makes it a TV show. It's it's produced. It's polished. It's it's definitely... I mean, I mean it's television. It's television. Okay? It's television. All right. So, why am I talking about AEW? So... Quick, quick little brief history. I watch a lot of different types of television. I watch a lot of different types of movies. And I love comic book movies. I love action movies. I love sci-fi and horror movies. Wrestling appeals to all of those sensibilities. It's action. It's comedy. It's comic book. There are characters. There are villains. There are superheroes. There are supernatural characters. There are gothic characters. There are horror characters. There are horror storylines. There are... You know, you have The Undertaker, and you have The Fiend, and you have stuff like that. So there's a lot of, you know, Steam, and, you know, there's lots of different things out there that make it look like horror. <sighs> Excuse me. There's lots of different things that make it look like comic book. There's lots of different things out there that make it look like action, and sci-fi, fantasy, and everything else. But it is theater. It is theatrical. It is a TV show. So, why AEW? Where did it come from? So, back in the 90s, you had Turner Broadcasting, they had TBS, TNT, and a few others. They, they got gobbled up by Warner, Time Warner Communications, they became a part of that. And they bought a wrestling promotion known as WCW, World Championship Wrestling. And they launched a program called Monday Night, it was called Monday Nitro. Nitro was a companion or a counterpart excuse me competition to wwf as it was known then uh monday night raw and so you had wcw and you had wwf and then you had they went to head to head they were on the exact same time slot they were on opposite channels one was usa one was tnt and they were trying to get you to watch their wrestling program there were a lot of differences between the two, and there were a lot of similarities between the two, but eventually they started to form their own identities. WCW became more popular in a lot of ways, and it became a lot more profitable in a lot of ways. But then through a series of corporate mergers and acquisitions, it ended up getting bought out by WWF, who was rebranded WWE because of you know, a lawsuit that stems all the way back to way before any of us were born, or most of us, I should say. And out of that, WCW disappeared. It was absorbed into its competitor, and it faded away into our collective memories. A few years ago, 2017, I think, 2018, somewhere in that, the, the, the groundwork was laid, a new professional wrestling promotion came on the scene called AEW, All Elite Wrestling. So this is a promotion that has... Some surface similarities to WCW. Namely, it's on TNT. It has some of the people behind it, creative talent, who were responsible for WCW's success. And there are some former WCW wrestlers working for this promotion. But that's where a lot of the similarities stop. It is challenging WWE. And it is highly successful as a TV show and as a sports brand, as an entertainment brand, as an athletic brand. It is very successful, and it is taking away ratings from the other ones. 
So, what makes it different? What makes it? What are the similarities to WCW, and what are the differences, and why are people turning to it? What makes it different than you know what we're seeing on Raw or SmackDown or NXT? Well, the biggest thing that makes it different from WCW is WCW launched with a bunch of retired or ex WWF, then WWF WWE employees, Hulk Hogan, uh, Ric Flair. Macho Man Randy Savage and a whole bunch of other people who left WWF, WWE, and they went over to WCW. It started, it had money, it had star power. It started, it launched as a brand, and it hit hard, and it just kept going. But it did also have a habit of once a talent, one of the performers, one of the wrestlers, was released from the contract and no longer didn't renew, would leave WWE and go to work for WCW. That happened a lot. There was also some poaching behind the scenes. We learned about that later on. We don't know if that's happening right now, but we do see people when they get let go from WWE or when their contracts, their non-competes expire, like Dan O'Brien. He just recently went to, w, uh, to AEW, and he's now operating as Brian Danielson. We have CM Punk. You know, you've got Sting, who was a WCW wrestler, but he was back over there. And you have a few others. So, there there are some surface-level similarities, but one of the things that makes it unique and a little bit different is it's trying things, it's doing things differently than, you know, it's being more experimental. Whereas, you know, the other guys are basically formulated. Is the formula good? Does it work? I mean, work? Sure, is it good? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's getting stale. That's what I hear a lot of people say. Is it entertaining? I, I watch SmackDown. I think SmackDown is entertaining, and I enjoy it. I don't like everything it's doing, and I kind of wish that they would do something different with a couple of different wrestlers. But for the most part, yeah, I'm still watching. I'm still watching SmackDown, but I'm also watching AEW. So, what do I want to say specifically about AEW? Well, one thing AEW has that really appeals to me as a transgender woman is they have Nyla Rose. AEW is willing to take risks and chances and be fresh and modern and catch up to the times. They have a transgender female identifying LGBT queer woman wrestling. I don't know if she's queer, but I mean, she's LGBT woman. She may be into guys. I don't know. But she's trans. And she is a female performer performing with other women. To my knowledge, there are no other out trans transitioning performers, wrestlers in any other major wrestling promotion, at least not in WWE. That is pretty cool. And she's a pretty good wrestler. So I like that. When I watch some of their shows, they're they're getting a little more creative. They're trying different types of matches than what I'm used to seeing on the other guys. And one of the things that I think is pretty cool is they definitely are, they do allow the wrestlers a lot of say in the show, the performances, the storylines, and things like that. So there's a lot going on. Now, there I'm not going to just sing its praises all day long, because to me, it does look like every match just devolves into a brawl and there's never a clear-cut winner. That's not every match, but it does have that 
feel. It doesn't feel like that. So you know, feels like is often usually a lot of um, is usually a common complaint. If it feels like this thing, a lot of people associate it as such. So yeah, you know I me. Mean. The other thing I do like about it is it is giving some old timers and some retired wrestlers and people who are you know maybe getting let go from the other guys a, a, a second chance. In some cases, a third chance, but whatever. Um, I like Sting. I like seeing him. He's, he's a throwback. <sighs> so there's a few wrestlers, a few things, you know, that make it feel, a few components, elements that make it feel fresh. And it is definitely getting popular. It's got two, there's two shows now. Uh, Dynamite, which is on Wednesday, which has got so popular they had to move NXT away from it just to keep the brand alive. And then they launched uh, Rampage, which comes on right after SmackDown. So yeah, people who just got done watching SmackDown, they're not done. They're not ready to finish. They're not done watching wrestling. They want more. They just change the channel. And they're going to watch AEW Rampage. You know, from what I've seen, it's entertaining. I'm bored with Monday Night Raw. I can't watch Raw anymore. I never liked NXT. Never got into NXT. I'm still watching SmackDown. I'm watching uh, Dynamite off and on. Not, not, I'm not super thrilled about it. Not super excited, but I'm catching it. Rampage is starting to look pretty good, though. I have other motivations for getting into these. I have friends who are wrestlers. Or who are fans of wrestling, I should say. i to be careful what I say. Um, and so... I've... I kind of go back and forth on wrestling. I, I, I fall into periods where I'm really into it, and then I kind of fall out of it for a while. Right now, I'm getting back into it. You know, I do have Peacock, so I can watch some of the you know, WWE programs, some of the old Raw, Nitro, Internet Wars, WCW stuff. I'm into that. Some of those classic Hulk Hogan, Macho Man fights. I'm into that. Uh, because to me, it's a television show. Ah! But, ooh, excuse me. Um, do I think AEW is the second coming of WCW? No. It's a totally different thing. I don't expect that it's going to fall apart, Vince is going to buy it, and then in 10 years from now, it's going to be a thing of the past. I, I, I will not put my stamp of approval on it. I will not say, oh yeah, I think it's here to stay. Come on. You know better. I know better. Is it here? Is it here now? Yes. Is it hot now? Yes. There's other wrestlings. There's other forms of wrestling out there. There's there's you know, Ring of Honor. There's Impact. There's New Pro Japan. You know, or New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's lots of other promotions out there. It's not all WWE. But it's definitely looking different. And so... The reason I wanted to talk about it is because I have been watching it and I've been having discussions with people and I'm trying to ask the question, why is it so popular and is that is it going to last? Is it going to last? On that first question, I've already described why I think it's popular. A lot of it is I think it's just different. It's fresh. It's unique. And it's, and it's evolving. It's changing. It's building momentum. Will it be able to keep that up? I don't know. I mean, Nitro kicked up teeth out of Raw until Raw declared war, and then the Attitude Era started up. 
Are we going to see a return to the Attitude Era? Highly doubt it. But we might see some shakeups. I think we're about to, we're seeing hints that there's going to be some major shakeups. I think some shows are either going to disappear, get realigned, rebranded, or things are going to change. What is that going to look like? I, I don't know. But, am I going to stop watching SmackDown and WWE altogether and then just plant my flag for AEW? Am I going to do that? Eh, doubtful, not likely. I mean, it would take it would take a major paradigm shift for that to happen. There's still a lot of people, a lot of good things going on over at the other side. Then I'm like, yeah. As long as Nikki Cross is on Monday Night Raw, I'll tune in when she's on. There's a few other people that I'll check out. But for the most part, yeah, I'm really getting into the AEW for right now. For me, a lot of it is a throwback to WCW. It does feel like that. Um... I haven't seen a lot of AEW toys in the toy aisle. I have seen the 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 belt, and I've seen the gym, or the, the ring. You can get the ring. But I haven't seen a lot of figures. Six inch, three and a quarter inch, 12 inch, five inch. I haven't seen any of them. Uh, I haven't been looking for them, because, like I said, I usually look for... Well, if I'm looking for wrestling figures, obviously, it's people I recognize, and those are mostly going to be WWE. Another yawn, I'm sorry. Alright, so... Do I think it's here to stay? That's the real question. I think... As long as the people that are involved with it... Want to be involved with it, I think it's going to stick around. Impact has stuck around. Ring of Honor has stuck around. You don't have to put WWE out of business to stick around. You just have to be good enough to have an audience. Right now, it's good enough to have an audience, and that audience has grown. Will people get a resurgence in nostalgia for WWE or a resurgence in loyalty? Oh, excuse me. To the show that they grew up with? I don't know. I mean, they could really change things up, but I know for me right now, I've already gotten bored of Raw. Never got into to NXT, and I'm holding on to SmackDown because right now it's it's got my attention, but it might not much for much longer. But it's right before Rampage, so might as well. It could ride the coattails of that for a little while longer. I think, at least for me, maybe that changes in the coming weeks or months when I'm in my own place and I don't have as easy access to it, or maybe I double down. I don't know. But that's all I'm going to devote to this topic because I really think I'm talking in circles now. I think it's going to stick around for a little while, and I think it's going to continue to... As long as it continues to innovate and change, and, and, and people continue to come to it, I think it's going to stick around. Personally, I'm not a big wrestling fan. Like, I'm not, like, the biggest fan. I'm more... I'm into, I'm into it for the entertainment. I want the storylines. I want the characters. Yeah, give me a good product, give me a good show, give me a good fight. But I want characters that I find interesting. Right now, 
WWE has enough characters or enough interwoven storylines that are you know connected, then I'm still I'm still gonna check it out. Maybe they maybe they pull me back in. Hold on. AEW has got good wrestling. They're definitely trying things. They're trying new things. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it burns out. Maybe people get tired of it and, and maybe it merges with Ring of Honor or Impact or New Japan or one of the others. Or maybe it just gets gobbled up by Vince like we're all sitting around waiting for it to happen. Maybe they find a way to rebrand it as WCW. Well, I doubt that. But yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. Taking a break. I'll be back in a few. Okay, so if you were watching the intro, you notice I didn't intro a toy topic, and that was because I, I have a controversial one, and I didn't want to spoil it. I just wanted to kind of let you get here and decide for yourself. So, I love toys. I'm a toy collector. I love collecting toys. I love comic books. I love dolls. I got Barbie dolls. I got Care Bears. I got action figures. I got Legos and Hot Wheels and all kinds of stuff. I also have a lot of Funko Pops, and I got to I got to thinking, are Funko Pops toys? I mean, they're sometimes they're sometimes sold in toy stores. They're sometimes sold with the in the toy aisle or close to the toy aisle. They're definitely collectibles. Comic book shops sell them. Comic book shops aren't toy stores. And even when they sell them at Walmart, they're usually by the DVDs or the vinyl records. The collectibles. The adult collectibles. Target has a section, a whole wall of just Funko Pops. There's a store in the mall close by where I live that is a Funko Pop store. It just sells Funko Pops. GameStop is basically a Funko Pop store at this point in time. Which I'm not complaining. I have a lot of Funko Pops. In fact... I like to show off new toys that I get as a part of this segment. This is one that I bought a while back, but I'm going to set that over there. That's for another day. I have three Funko Pops sitting here unopened in their package. have been sitting in this bag for three, four months, at least since May. Bozo the Clown. Cyclops from the X-Men, the original team Cyclops. And because I thought it was fun as all hell, the Domino's Noid! I collect Funko Pops. You know, it's a thing I like to do. So, uh, we were talking about, you know, I'm going to go ahead and open this up. Ah, look at that. I opened up the Noid. And I dropped him. They, did, they do say to avoid the Noid. 
Look at this guy. He's cute, right? His head turns. Little, not much movement. He is definitely a figurine. They are figurines. Absolutely. They're definitely collectibles. Look at the packaging. They're packaged. Is Their packaging is designed to stack them on your toy shelf, your bookshelf, to be displayed. I open them up because I play with them. I play with my toys. So does that automatically mean they're toys? I do have a, a shelf de dedicated exclusively to Funko Pops. And as you can see, I've got a bunch. I've got about, eh, I'd say about 20-ish, you know, thereabouts. 18, 20, 22, somewhere in that ballpark. I haven't actually sat down to count them all. But I definitely have quite a few ones. And I'm going to probably end up with a few more. Not a hundred of them. Not a ton of them. Not all of them. Not even a big giant collection of them. But a few. I'll buy them. Because I think they're cute. And I love to collect toys. So, I'm not going to get into a history of Funko Pops. I'm just going to talk about how, I think, how I got into them. And I'm just going to try to wonder... Are they collectibles or are they toys? I didn't really want to tackle this issue until maybe a little bit later because I think they're gorgeous. I love them. They're so cute. Uh, and that's what I love about them. Is they're so adorable. They're also highly, highly collectible. The packaging has a number right on it to tell you what number this is. And then it tells you which series it's from. So this is from the Marvel 80-year series and it's number 502. What does that mean? I don't know. Does that mean that there's 502 mark? I don't know. But it, you, you want to collect them. And you and you look at it and you're like, ah, I got to get all of them. Well, I don't have all of them. I have Cyclops and then I have Jean Grey. And that's it. As far as X-Men goes, those are the only two I wanted. I wanted Marvel Girl and Cyclops. Those are the two I wanted. Um, how did I get into collecting Funko Pops? Briefly, I was always indifferent towards them because like i said i'm a toy collector i don't collect figurines i don't like figurines i have a handful of figurines to me figurines are collectibles so they're in the toy family but they're not necessarily toys you can really play with them you can display them i have some amiibo for example those are sort of interactive in a way because they can interact with you know your video game console you can tap it but they're not Toys. They're just kind of like toys to life, they were called. Fungo Bobs are kind of like little statues. They're definitely like little figurines, but they're bigger than figurines. And they're not figures because they're not movable. Well, they are kind of figures. Stay on there. Let's read the packaging. Bozo. Bozo the Clown. Vinyl figure. Bozo, the world's most famous clown. Number 64 in the Pop Icons collection. Okay, it's pretty cool. I like it. Do I need a whole bunch of pop icons? No, I just thought Bozo the Clown was pretty cool. So I bought Bozo the Clown. Um, they're not really, they don't have a lot of play value, but what about Hot Wheels? Hot Wheels are collectibles. I'm not going to open one, but I think I have one over here. I have one right here. This is a Hot Wheels toy. These are sold in the toy aisle. Some people keep them in the packaging. Does that automatically make them a collectible? I don't know. So collectible to me has a connotation where it's intended to be bought. It's intended to be collected. 
So figurines definitely fall under collectibles. I think things like, you know, like little knick-knack kind of figurines, like little ceramic figurines, salt and pepper shakers, you know, those fall under collectibles. Uh, decorative plates, those are collectibles. So are Funko Pops decorative plates? Are they uh, the equivalent of salt and pepper shakers? My grandma used to collect salt and pepper shakers, and they were all fancy. And, look at that, his head turns. <laughs> it kind of bobbles a little bit. That's it, though. They don't do a whole lot. He is kind of rubbery. That kind of takes me back to, like, those bendy figures. Are those toys? Yeah, I would say those are toys. But let's talk about Hot Wheels for a second. Hot Wheels are static cars. There's not a lot of action parts in them. There's not, I mean, the play pattern is, well, you can set up little tracks and race them. Or you can put it on the table and just go vroom, vroom, vroom and race it around. Or you can hide, you know, display them on your wall and just sort of look at them. There's a lot of different things you can do with them. Or you can just use them as, you know, decorations for, like, if you're making movies and you're, you're making little miniature towns and you need to blow up cars, you can use Hot Wheels for that. That's why I started buying them. Because I was in film school and I was studying to make movies and I made a short movie that required me to build a town and I made a little town using model train parts and Hot Wheels cars. And, yeah, it worked. It, I mean, I, I got a passing grade in the class anyways. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. All right. Um, I definitely do think that Funko Pops are definitely collectibles. Hot Wheels are toys. They're sold in the toy aisle. But they're also collectibles. I cannot say Hot Wheels are not collectibles. So yes, you can be a toy and a collectible. And I don't just mean action figures, which are a toy people collect. Legos are not collectibles. Now, there are Lego collectors out there. But Legos are intended. They're just building blocks. They're bricks. They're intended to be. They're a puzzle. They're intended to be pieced together. They're just play with Legos. They're, they're play. Play is a part of Legos. Now, you also have things like board games and puzzles and things like that. And I... I lump board games and puzzles and things like that, tabletop games, in with my toy segment. So I'm going to you know, talk about Dungeons & Dragons or Magic the Gathering or trading cards like Pokemon cards. I'm going to do that here in this segment. Because to me, they're toys. They're intended to be played. Played with. It's a game. There's rules. Toys, have, toys, toys are a game. They are imagination play. That's their intended purpose is to stand in for something and use your imagination. The purpose of an action figure is to open it up, put the gun in his hand, and pretend like he's actually fighting either an imaginary monster or some other toy in your collection. That's how you're supposed to play with those toys. How do you play with a Funko Pop? I mean, you can play with a Hot Wheels. A Hot Wheel toy is a collectible, but it's also a toy. Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies are collectibles that are miniature little tiny uh, stuffed animals. To me, those are toys. How do you play with a stuffed animal? Like you do with an action figure or a doll. You play pretend. You know, I have Care Bears. I'm not going to sit here and describe to you how you play with a Care Bear. You can figure it out. How do you play with a salt and pepper shaker? Well, you don't. You put it on... The, its intended purpose is to just go on the on the shelf. What about little mini figurines, like little Smurf figurines, or those little, you know, what do I have? I have, right here, I have a Disney figurine. This little guy. 
It's a little Disney figurine. I already talked that no, there's no movement in this thing. It's just a static. It's a little statue. It's a little miniature statue that's intended to go on a shelf. You put it on a shelf, you look at it, and you admire it. How do you play with this? You don't. This is not a toy. Yeah, it's sold in the toy aisle, but just being sold in the toy aisle doesn't make it automatically a toy. You know, there's lots of things they sell in the toy aisle that are support to toys or things that look enough like toys that, you know, they're marketing to the people who buy toys. This is not sold in the toy aisle. A case could almost be made for this. This isn't sold in the toy aisle. This is sold over there next to the DVDs and the, you know, the vinyl records. What are vinyl records? They're not toys. They're electronics, but they're also collectibles. People collect vinyl records. People collect DVDs. DVDs are not intended to be collected, but they kind of are. That's why they have collector's edition versions, and collector's tins, and director's cuts, and all these other things. So yeah, there's a collectible market built into DVDs. DVDs are not toys, but they are absolutely, there is a collector market built into the packaging and the marketing of DVDs. They're intended to be collected by DVD collectors. They're also intended to be consumed by moviegoers, and film fans, and cinema buffs, and people who like television shows, and weirdos like me. <laughs> this is not a toy. Is it? It's definitely a figurine. It's not sold in the toy aisle. It's not sold... I mean, most of these are sold in the novelty aisle. Now we're getting down the stretch. But toy collectors buy Funko Pop. I'm a toy collector, and I buy Funko Pops. You know what I don't buy? Salt and pepper shakers. I don't buy figurines, except for Disney figurines. And the only reason why I buy Disney figurines is because they don't make Disney action figures. If they had a three and a quarter inch posable Donald Duck action figure, I'd probably buy it. I do have a five inch tall DuckTales, um, what's his name? The, um... Launchpad action figure is an actual action figure. Yeah, they could do it. I would buy those. But I have a Sonic the Hedgehog action figure. That goes in with my toys. That goes in with my toys to play with. I have a Sonic the Hedgehog Funko Pop. That goes on my toy. That goes on my pop shelf. My Funko Pop shelf. My collectibles shelf. I don't know if you could say Funko Pops are toys. They do a appeal to toy collectors, but so do comic books. There's some overlap there. But there's a lot of people who buy Funko Pops who are not toy collectors. There are people who buy Funko Pops who don't own any toys, who don't want anything to do with toys. So just because toy collectors buy them doesn't make them toys. Toy collectors buy DVDs. That doesn't make DVDs toys. Toy collectors buy underwear. Are we going to try to tell me that underwear, well, some of are you going to tell me underwear is a collectible? You better not be collecting underwear. I oh no, don't. Please don't. And you better not be playing with it, except for maybe in uh, an adult scenario, which I don't want to describe here in this kind of show. So, no. I can't make a case that Funko Pops are toys. I can say they're collectibles. I can say that they appeal to toy collectors because toy collectors like characters. They love characters. They like something that's sculpted. They're very sculpted. They're very detailed. But are they toys? No. There's no play here. What's the play pattern? 
You can't see that, but that's how you play with it. You put it on the shelf and you don't touch it. You don't play with it. Now, could you have Noid come in here and you go, ah, use your imagination play? I mean, you could. But are you going to do that? Is it going to stand in like a Hot Wheel and you make a little diorama? Is it going to stand in? No, they're, they're not to scale to anything. They wouldn't make very good dioramas, although people do make dioramas out of Funko Pops because they have their own scale and they do have cars and buildings and things, so that's kind of cool. But again, that's not their intended purpose. Their intended purpose is to be collected. You buy them to put on your toy shelf or your bookshelf or your DVD shelf or your comic book shelf or just on top of your refrigerator or your coffee table. You don't play with Funko Pops. Now what about earlier in the show I said, yes, I play with my toys. And I dig out my Funko Pops and, you know, I admire them. Do I play with them? I mean, no, I don't, not really. Because there's no play pattern. How do you play with a salt and pepper shaker? I love them. I collect them. I think they're cute. They're not toys. Because to me, there's no play pattern. Maybe they're a toy to you. And great if you if you have if you can if your imagination is powerful enough to overcome the fact that they don't do anything and they have no intended purpose great not me not for me i do think they're collectibles a lot of times they have overlap with toys they look like toys but they're usually not sold in the toy aisle and they're not usually targeted directly to toys now they might sometimes be sold in the adult collector's aisle which adult collectibles usually look a lot like toys, and there could be some toys and action figures mixed in with those. But I don't, I don't think I would go so far as to say, oh yeah, Funko Pops, those are just a type of toy. What do you think? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Am I, am I crazy? Am I spot on? Let me know. In the meantime, buy Funko Pops because they're adorable as hell. Excuse me. Excuse me. Okay, it is time for this week's Hot Topic. Hot Topic is a segment I do where I try to pick something that's culturally relevant or significant, maybe something that's a little more newsy, or just something that's, you know, uh, centered on like an LGBT issue or some other type of, you know, something important. This is where I try to get serious for a little bit. Now, I was planning on doing a music segment. Why did the 80s music stick around? I also, because yesterday, as of the recording of this, was 9-11, the 20th anniversary. I also decided I want to talk about 9-11, September 11, uh, 2001, the terror attack, where terrorists hijacked some planes, flew them into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the one that was crashed, by that was crashed into the Pennsylvania countryside. So, you know, yes, 9-11, big deal. Because the war in Afghanistan ended last week. I talked about that in the last episode. And so I wanted to talk about that. How is that going to relate to 80s music, you wonder? I was going to have a whole topic devoted to 80s music because I thought I would have enough things to say about it. 
But then I realized that I was only going to end up repeating some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about in this segment, so bear with me. First, the quick rundown. 20 years ago, we all know what happened. I just gave you the summary just 10 minutes ago. Okay, or a few seconds ago, a minute ago, less than that. So, we just passed the 20th anniversary. Now, on the surface, a lot of people remember 9-11 as a tragedy. I mean, we all do. A lot of people remember it as an American tragedy, but it was actually a worldwide tragedy because it led to what we classified, or our government, I should say, classified as the global war on terror. This led to the aforementioned 20-year war in Afghanistan, uh, a war that lasted longer than it probably should have, we probably shouldn't have been involved in, uh, over there in Iraq. It led to the eventual... Um, well, the, the, the rise of ISIS, what's happening in some other parts of the world, and a lot of terror attacks since then. And a lot of other evil things happened as a result of it. The USA Patriot Act was a result of it. The detainees being held at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba without trial for a lot of, in a lot of cases. And so, so many other things. So, so many other things. So, I already wrote an article on my blog spider or excuse me www.stephaniebree.com i was gonna say the spider's life but that's an old website <laughs> have it won't have this time die hard excuse me no um this is a serious topic though why are we talking about the 20th anniversary of 9-11 because it was a big deal the the, the the attacks changed in america they changed the world but they also changed us they changed us american citizens and people Children, I was 18 years old, just turned 19, just turned 19 days before 9-11. Just turned 19. My birthday was on the 7th. 9-11 happened, what, four days, five days after my birthday? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, four days later? That was a big deal, people. It was a big deal. I was a kid. I had, I had just finished high school. I was working probably one of my first, not my first, but one of my first adult jobs. It scarred me. It scarred everybody I know. What happened in my life, and I saw this happen with a lot of people. A lot of us, collectively, people go through a period of nostalgia, right? When you get into your late teens, early 20s, you kind of get into a period of nostalgia. This happens. And the millennial generation, I'm a millennial, we're no different than any other generation. They call us millennials because... We became adults. We achieved adulthood at the turn of the millennium, the year 2000. 2001 was the official start of the new millennium, because there's no year zero. And September of year one of the new millennium, every adult or mid to late teenage millennial was scarred in September 11th at the definitive developmental point in our lives when we were just shaping our worldviews. This horrific terror attack took place. We were all watching it horribly. I was, I'm trans, female, which means I was born beside male at birth. I was born identified as male. I'm now female. 
at 19 years old, I was already registered for the draft. And when our president at the time said, we will use every available resource to get those responsible for this attack. For one, he meant it. Every available resource. He essentially gave the U.S. military and its NATO allies a blank check and a directive to just do whatever needs to be done. Just do it. And the whole rest of the world just put their hands up and said, okay, it's not us, but here you go. Do your thing. And we did our thing. And boy, howdy, once the drones came on the scene, we don't give a crap. Our government, our military doesn't give a crap about borders anymore. They're going to fly a drone in, shoot to kill, and then fly it home, and no one's going to know any better because it's some kid playing a video game somewhere. It's awful what we've become as a country because of 9-11. What we did to the world in retaliation for 9-11. But it also scarred us, the millennials. And we were children in the 80s. And I've been saying this for a long time now. My, my prevailing theory, is, and I've talked to others who have this, but this is how I feel what happened. I think we set the clock back. On September 10th, 2001, millennials were either in high school, some of them were in middle school, or just getting out of high school, just starting their lives, or had just started their lives. We were basically adults. Teenagers are developmentally, they're not technically adults, but what are we, what are we told all the time in high school? Young adults were young adults. We were basically adults. Every millennial who went to bed, September 10th, 2001, went to bed as a child who was becoming an adult at a time when life looked positive. You know, the new millennium was awesome. We passed the Y2K problem. We were waving the flag, not just the American flag, but, you know, pride flags were starting to be waved more and more often. We were starting to see diversity in the pride flags. The trans flag was out. The bi flag was out. There were new flags coming out all the time. You know, things were changing. You know, we just did away with sodomy in this country, or at least legalized it in a way that you could, you know, finally be homosexual and not get arrested for it. It was progress. So people like us, people like me, were happy in some ways. I wasn't happy everywhere. But as a country, we were moving forward. And then, one day later, we were frightened. Every single one of us. September 11, 2001. Time stopped for every millennial. Now, I'm not going to talk about the boomers and the Gen Xers. I'm not going to talk about our younger brothers and sisters or the kids that came after us. I'm just talking about the millennials. Because we were the ones who were becoming adults at this time. We were the ones who, once we became adults, we went into the world. And what did we do? We got jobs. We went to college. We did what? No, we didn't. We went to college and then we didn't get jobs. We moved back in with our parents because we got riddled with student loans that we couldn't pay off. Some of us got creative. We, 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 we invented YouTube and we found a way to make money talking to our friends on the camera. We created... Facebook. We found a way to get popular and famous amongst our peers. We created Twitter, 
another way to share information without actually having to pay for newspapers. We destroyed the newspaper industry. Oh, absolutely. We, we us, millennials, did that. We created Netflix. We didn't want to go to work. We didn't want to pay for cable. We just wanted to sit at home and have television beamed to our devices, everything, our laptop, our tablet, our phone, our smartwatch, our smart TV, our game consoles, just numb our brains. We didn't want to deal with, we didn't want to deal with 9-11, the war on terror that it, it caused. What's the most popular video game right now and has been for the past 20 years? Call of Duty. Why is Call of Duty so popular? It's popular because when the millennials became adults, what did we do? We were hurt in a way that I can't really describe. Probably the way the, you know, the, the boomers' parents were on Pearl Harbor, you know? This is one of those days where our entire generation said, Oh, God, we're screwed. And what did we do? We immediately, I mean, snap of the fingers, immediately reset the clock back to the 80s. Because that's when we felt safe. The 90s, G.I. Joe had faded away. It had evolved. G.I. Joe had, uh, was it Extreme or whatever it was called. You know, it was uh, G.I. Joe Cores or something like that. Marine, I don't know. It, 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 it evolved. Ghostbusters Extreme had come along. You know, He-Man was forgotten. Replaced by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Transformers became Beast Wars. We made progress. We moved forward. PlayStation came on the scene. Sega was waffling. Nintendo was doing its thing. And then 2001 happens. What happened in November 2001? The Xbox comes on the scene. What is the Xbox? It's a machine that feeds us military game after military game after military game. Puts a gun in our hands and lets us shoot bad guys. And what did we do as millennials? We went out and we shot all the bad guys. Most of us did it virtually in the, in, the, in the game system. A lot of us did it on the battlefield, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and anywhere else they sent us. I have friends who went to those places and didn't come back. I have friends who went to those places and they came back. Somebody came back wearing their face, wearing their name, but it wasn't the friend that left. This war fucked us up. That tragedy fucked us up. I firmly believe we went to our safe space. We set the clock back. 19 years old. What did I do? 19 years old. 13, 14, 15 years old. I had gotten out of toys. Now this is anecdotal, but I saw the same thing happen to all of my friends. Do the exact same thing. I had gotten out of toys. What did I do? Got into video games. Got into music. I started a band. Got into breakdancing. 2001. October 2001. What did I do? I started buying Transformers toys. 2001 car robots, robots in disguise toys. Fire truck Optimus Prime. His brother Ultra Magnus. The Autobot Brothers. Expo. And Prowl. Reimagined, recolored Transformers G2 toys. Rebranded as. Spy changers. Transformers were back. There were headlines in major newspapers like the New York Times saying the Transformers are back. They were back as cars and trucks and spaceships and airplanes and 
Yeah, dinosaurs and things, but they were they were back. They never went anywhere. They evolved in the nineties. They became beast wars, beast machines, machine wars. They moved on. We just set the clock back on them. Said, nah, we want the old ones. We want the ones from the childhood. What did Toys R Us start doing? Just started selling the old G1 toys in their original packaging. Oh, here you go. Feel good, kids. We want you to remember them when you were kids. Things like Pokemon got real popular. Animal Crossing got real popular. Pikmin got real popular. Why did these things get popular? Because we needed something that made us feel good. Everybody had a Game Boy. Everybody had a Game Boy Advance or a Nintendo DS. Everybody needed something to just take their minds off of it. Video games got exponentially more popular after 9 11. Look it up. The numbers are there. The graphs are there. But what got popular? We split into two camps. The one camp wanted escapism. Just anything to forget. Fairy tale games, fantasy games, anything to forget. The other camp, the, the fighting camp, the angry camp, the bitter camp, what did they want? Revenge. They wanted to play every game. It had to be the same thing. Give me a gun and let me kill all the bad guys. Just kill bad guys all day long. Well, we had first-person shooters in the 90s, but we also had point-click adventure games in the 90s. We had RPG games in the 90s. You know, RPGs that looked like Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VII, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Neverwinter Nights. After 9-11, what, what did RPGs look like? Morrowind, Skyrim, Oblivion, Dragon Age. Those are first-person shooters. But Fable. Those are games where, what do you do? You're, you're first-person shooters. Dressed up in fairy tale lands. What did we want? Just shoot the bad guys. Give me a, give me a, give me a wizard's hand and I'm going to shoot lightning beams. Give me a sword. I'll chop down goblins. You know, give me a bow and arrow and I'll just shoot down all the trolls. Or all the elves or the orcs or whoever it is. Just let me kill bad guys. That's all we want. Kill the bad guys. Every video game was either kill the bad guys or it was anything but. It was escapism. We wound the clock back. We collectively said, we don't want to be 2001 anymore. We don't want it to be 2002 anymore. We don't want it to be the new millennium anymore. We want it to be the 80s again. That's why we started bringing back the 80s movies. The 80s toys, the 80s comic books, everything had to look and feel like the 80s. Sure, every generation goes through this. When we become adults, we take over and we bring back our nostalgia. But the 80s have stuck around longer than any other revival. Why? Why haven't we brought back the 90s? People keep saying, bring back the 90s. They keep trying. But then we always revert back to the 80s. I talked about AEW earlier in the show. NXT. NXT is rebranding to do what? Look like a product from the 80s. Why? Why do we want to hold on to the 80s so stinking bad? Because we were safe in the 80s. We were teenagers in the 90s. Teenagers who either were still in high school or had just gotten out of high school. Or were just going into college in 9-11. We were teenagers in the 90s. We became adults in 9-11. And we went back to being kids in September 12th. 2001. We were all just like, nope, can't deal with it. Don't want to deal with it. We just said, forget it. 
We're not going to do it. We're not going to face the world. We're going to create YouTube and Twitch, and we're going to invent esports so we can sit at home and get played to play video games. That's what we did. We have YouTube. We created YouTube. Millions and millions of people making lots and lots of money talking about video games. Just sitting on their butts playing video games. And I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I'm just saying this is because of 9-11. Would these things have happened anyways? I don't I don't know. They needed a catalyst. What was the catalyst? That dark day that sucked our souls dry. And left us wanting to be safely in our 80s cocoon where we couldn't be hurt. Why don't we want to go back to the 90s? Because the 90s are too close to 9-11. The 80s, there's a cushion. You got the whole decade of the 90s. Between 80s and between 1990 and 2001, you got a big old cushion. Masters of the Universe came back in 2002. We started seeing X-Men and Spider-Man movies. We started bringing back Star Wars. And we started we started doing The Matrix and Lord of the Rings and new Terminator movies. And they started talking about the new Ghostbusters. And all that time. Well, it didn't happen, but it, they started talking about it. The groundwork was laid for a new G.I. Joe. It came out on the 25th anniversary. Came and went. And then, you know, Venom and Valor came and he-Man came back. You know, we tried to bring back other shows. Heroes came on the scene and because that, you know, made us feel good. It was sort of like X-Men, but wasn't X-Men. You know, we, we started to bring back other shows from the past. Knight Rider came back. MacGyver came back. We took we took Lethal Weapon and turned it into a TV show. We did the same thing with music. The 80s music reminds us of a time when we were safe in our beds and there was terrorists were just cartoon characters. We didn't know any better. Was the world better in the 80s? No, but we tuned it out because we had Saturday morning cartoons and we had sugar-frosted cereals. And that's exactly what we did. On September 12, 2001, we turned the dial back to December 1st, or January 1st, 1980. And we've been stuck there ever since. And I don't think the millennials will ever go on. I truly believe in my heart that every millennial on this planet will die holding on to the 1980s like it. Like our lives depend on it. Are we finally going to get closure now that the war in Afghanistan is over? We killed Osama bin Laden 10 years ago. We got out of Iraq. We LGBT people, we've won some of our rights that we've been fighting for. We're under attack, especially trans people are under attack, but we have we made progress? I mean, in some areas we have, but then you see what happened on January 6th. You see Donald Trump and everything that goes along with it. You see what's happening right now with the thing whose name we don't speak. I think that's why... We can't let go of the 80s. Because collectively, I think every millennial said, you know what, when was I safe? When I was a kid. 1985, 1987, 1984, 1989. That's when I felt safe. September 12th, 2001. Or 2000, yeah, 2001. Did not feel safe. September 12th, 2021. We still don't. 
we just turn the clock back. And we've stayed there ever since. That's why we're stuck in the 80s. And that's why when you ask the question, why are the 80s sticking around longer than the 70s did when that revival happened? The 70s revival happened in the middle of the 90s like it was supposed to. And then it got cut down prematurely so that we could hurry up and get back to the 80s as quick as we could. And we never really did get a full 90s revival. I mean, people keep trying, but we're always like, nah, let's go back to the 90s. Let's go back to the 80s. Let's go back to the 80s. You know? Why do we keep remaking Halloween 2? We keep remaking a movie that's been remade three times, and we just, we're probably going to remake it again. Because Halloween 2 was made in 1980. We can't accept anything that came later. We're stuck. Why are we stuck? Because our hearts tell us the world is too scary. It wasn't. It wasn't scary in the 80s. It's safe. It's familiar. Yes, nostalgia. It's a powerful drug. But it's also safety. In our minds, and our souls, and our hearts, we truly believe we were safer in the 80s. Now, queer people know better, obviously. But... I think we still collectively, you know, for the, the largest part of our culture, I should say, why do we long for that time? It's, it's all lies. The 80s weren't safe. No time in history has been safe. But you can't trip our hearts, and that's the thing. I think that's why we're stuck in the 80s. And I think that's why we'll stay there longer than other generations have stayed in there where they were in the past. I don't know if this applies to the boomers or not. I don't know if this applies to the Gen Z or you know whoever's coming up behind us. But I believe, I firmly believe this applies to the millennials. We want, we want it to be the 80s forever. What do you think I do this show? What do you think I collect toys from a childhood? Yeah, it's common for people to do those things, but it's never been this common for a gener an entire generation to do these things. It's way more socially acceptable now than it's ever been. Why do you think that is? I'm not saying it's the only reason, but I'm saying it was a catalyst. It's a big part of it. That's this week's hot topic. Never forget. Alright everybody, are you ready for... Are you excited? Are you ready for the end of the show? Well, no, I'm not ready for the end of the show, but I'm glad that I get to bring you the fun segment. Now, the little palette cleanser, fun little game I came up with used to do YouTube videos called This or That. Here's how it works. I pick two things that are very similar, and I go through and I assign them ten categories, and I go across and I try to decide, do they get a check mark in that category, or do they get an X? A check mark means they get a point, an X means they do not get a point. Whichever side ends up with the most points at the end wins the game and is declared the winner of This or That. Today, as chosen by y'all, my lovely amazing viewers and my first Patreon supporter. Yay! If you want to be as cool as Noob Weps, get out there. Noob Weps is in Noob Weapons. Thank you very much. 
you are awesome for being my first Patreon supporter. If you want to vote in this week, next week's this or that topic, go sign up for Patreon. It's only a dollar. No, it's two dollars. I don't remember what it costs. It's a couple bucks. Not that much. Go sign up. You can get the podcast early. You can get a video version of the podcast. You can get some other fun stuff. You know, you know. Then you get to vote in a poll. So, this or that. It's time to play. I'm comparing video arcades, as in the place you go to play arcade machines, to the movie theater, as in the place you go to watch movies on the big screen. Presumably. So obviously things have changed since the thing whose name we do not speak has come into the world, tried to go away, and then came back because, you know, things happened. So basically, uh, things are different for both of these, but we're going to compare them based on the way the world was before it changed. And then we'll kind of see which one wins. So the first category is home option. Do you have a home option? Meaning... Can you experience a movie theater in the home? Can you experience an arcade machine in the home? Well, there's lots of different ways that I can say yes to this. Arcades definitely get a, ch- a checkbox because since the NES was a game console that was designed to play arcade games in your living room, the Atari 2600 was a game console that was designed to play arcade games in your living room. And basically, since the, since the PlayStation came along, home video game consoles were on par with, if not superior, to the technology in arcades. So yeah, there is definitely an option to play games that are absolutely as incredible as arcade games were at home. Arcades definitely going to check. Movie theaters, have you ever heard of home theater? Do you have a flat screen HD TV right now? Do you have a smart TV? That's home theater. That is literally movie theater in your home. Yeah, I've got I've got two of them. They both get a check. What about new releases? New video games were made and then released in the arcade and then brought to home consoles. And then the same thing with movies, right? Movies were released in theaters and then brought to home home systems, right? Home markets. Home video, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming services. Well, if we're going to go with right before the thing happened... No, new video games aren't getting released in the arcade. Arcade games are still getting made, but they're mostly sequels to existing franchises. Or they're mobile games that are getting blown up into new new giant screens for whatever reason. Or they're like old games being remastered and re-innovated somehow, like Pac-Man Championship Edition or something like that. Excuse me. All right. So, no, I have to give an X to video games. They don't get new releases anymore. Movies? Yeah, they still have movies coming out in theaters. Even now they do. So, theaters get new movies. What about the big screen? You get to play a video game on the big screen. Typically, arcade machines were bigger screens than the TV that you were allowed to play video games with on at home. Most of us had little tiny 19-inch screens at home or smaller. 15-inch, 12-inch TVs, little tiny 13-inch TVs. Whereas in the arcade, you got big, you know, sometimes 27-inch TVs. Sometimes you got 32-inch or 34-inch or whatever they measure at. You got big screen. The movie theater absolutely gets a check. I mean, hello, why do we go to the theater in the first place? To watch it on the giant screen. And if that's not good enough for you, we created IMAX to make it even bigger. 
So I gave them both a check. Group activity. Do you, do you, can you play arcades as a group? Well, considering there's a lot of multiplayer games, and arcades tend to be, you know, especially in the old days, and even now, the revivals, yeah, they tend to be restaurants. They, they tend to have, like, bars with them, or sometimes they've got bowling alleys inside of them, or they're inside bowling alleys, or things like that. They tend to be, you know, coupled with other forms of entertainment, places you go with your friends. Movie theaters are designed to be a group activity. You go to the movie theater, you're sitting there in an auditorium with other people. It's really hard to go to the movie theater by yourself. That's absolutely a group activity. I give them both a check. Snacks. Are snacks integral to the arcade experience? Yeah, most arcades are inside restaurants. Chuck E. Cheese, Dave & Buster's. Or they're inside bars. Or they're barcades. They, they sell cheeseburgers. They sell chicken wings. They sell curly fries, you know, corn dogs, slices of pizza. What is the central, the main cost of going to the theater? Yeah, you pay 12 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever, for a ticket. But what else do you do? You pay 20 bucks for a bucket of popcorn, a giant soda pop, and some Mike and Ike's, or some Reese's Pieces, or whatever candies are going to tickle your fancy. You go there and you spend 40 bucks and you only cost you 10 to get in. What did that, what did the $30 go towards? Snacks. We get fat because we go to the movies. You're going to sit on your ass for two and a half, three hours eating sugar. Snacks are a part of the experience, an integral part of the experience. I am both a check. What about variety? Is there a lot, is there a lot of variety in the types of games you can play at the arcade, or is it all the same thing? Is there a lot of variety in the different movies, or do we just go see the next, you know, big, giant, sci-fi, blockbuster, superhero, Marvel, DC thing? I mean, variety, yeah. There's, in arcades, you got fighting games, you got beat-em-ups, you got puzzle games, you got sports games, you got trivia games, you know, you got platformers, you got, you know, maze games, you got space shooters, you got military games, you got hunting games, you got dance rhythm games, you got simulators, you got racing games. Oh yeah, there's tons of variety. Movies? Every kind of movie you can imagine. If it's a horror movie, if it's a teen comedy, if it's a romantic comedy, or, or some kind of drama, documentaries get released in the theater. French films with subtitles get released in the theater. Yeah, theater experience. There's a lot of variety. I gave them both a check. Sure, they both got a check. What about affordable? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar arcades are affordable. You can play most places. It's like if it's a barcade or one of those places where you have an admission fee, then all right, 20 bucks will get you a couple of hours of gameplay. So that's pretty good. You get a lot of, you can play a lot of games on that. Or a lot of times it's just drop a quarter. You know what? I got a quarter in my purse right now. I could probably find a quarter digging under the couch cushions if I wanted to. Quarters aren't that hard to find. Arcade games are pretty affordable. It is not affordable to go to movies. I mean, you're talking 12, 15 bucks for a ticket, probably 20, 30 bucks for snacks. Huh. You ain't going to that movie theater on no $5 bill. That ain't happening. You can get into, you can play some arcade machines. I gave a check to, I gave a check to games, to the video games. 
but I gave an X to theaters. They're not affordable. They're really not. What about longevity, social impact? You know, how how, how have they stuck around? How have have they changed our lives? Arcades? Not really. They stick around because, like I said, we're nostalgic. We like the past. But we've had to come up with creative ways to keep people playing them. Because nobody wants to put a quarter or four quarters or 12 quarters in a Pac-Man machine that you can sit there and play Pac-Man all day long for free on your phone or your tablet or your PlayStation or your Switch or your Xbox or your laptop or your smartwatch or whatever device you have or every device you have. Movie theaters? Oh, absolutely. They're still around. The social impact is tremendous. They're absolutely everywhere. We go to the movies because we go to the movies. And people buy home theater systems to replicate the experience of going to the movies. The only people that are buying arcade games, arcade machines, like actual arcade machines, are people who are stuck in the past. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd want some, but I'm, I can't afford them, so, you know. I did not give a check to arcades. They got an X. They're, they don't have, they didn't have a big social impact. They were popular for a few years and then they faded away and now they're just sort of sticking around. Movie theaters had a huge impact on the world. And longevity, they've been around for over a hundred years and they're not going away. Arcades were around for 20, 30 years and now they just sort of waffle back and forth. What about bells and whistles? You know, can you go to the arcade and get some really neat, like, can you get your senses? you know, tickled. Can you, can you see some cool sights and sounds? Oh, yeah. There's some amazing bells and whistles at the arcades. Uh, sometimes you get really cool graphics. You get really cool sounds. Sometimes you get a game that can talk. Sometimes you get a game that's really flashy. Sometimes you get a game that does something cool, like it's split across multiple screens, or it's got a tall screen, or it's interactive, like you got a gun, or it's a skiing game, you know, where you, got, you pretend like you're skiing, or some type of VR type experience, or it's a dance game where you're dancing, or some type of rhythm game. Yeah, lots of bells and whistles. I gave a check to video games. Video arcades. Movie theaters? Yeah, you got some bells and whistles. You got IMAX, you got 3D, you got comfy chairs, individual reclining chairs. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. You got surround sound, giant TV screens, that's one of the bells and whistles, that's one of the appeals. That's one of the appeals. It's come up twice on this list. So yeah, there's some pretty cool bells and whistles in movies. They're always coming up with something neat, some kind of new trick or gimmick to get you back into the seats. Speaking of which, what about innovative? Aside from the bells and whistles, the flashy things, do they really make a lot of changes to video games? Do they, do they redesign the wheel every so often? Yeah, the first arcade games were just ball and paddle games. Pong in its 10,000 variations. Breakout was just another Pong. Asteroids was just another Pong. I mean, really. It took a while before we started to see some innovation, but then we got Pac-Man games and 100 Pac-Man games. We got Mortal Kombat. We got Joust. We got weird games like Rampart. Show me a game that's like Rampart. It's definitely pretty cool. Okay, yeah, it's kind of a ball battle game, but it's, it's different. It's kind of unique. There's a lot of cool stuff. Arcades were definitely innovative. There were VR. There were giant screen machines. 
There are machines that are that, that are interactive. It's not just the bells and whistles, but innovative. They were constantly innovating in arcades. Constantly trying new things. Adding new things. Even today, they're still making them bigger and better and coming up with new things. Movie theaters? No, they're not. You sit in a chair, you watch a movie, you eat popcorn. I mean, the presentation gets better. Like I said, the bells and whistles improve over time. But innovation? I mean, there's not a lot you can innovate when it comes to movies. You know, we add a few gimmicks here and there, but like I said, that's a different category. I gave a check to arcades for being innovative. They're all about innovative. Every new game was a totally different cabinet, a totally different experience. Movies? I mean, you can go watch six movies in a row, back to back to back to back, and the experience didn't change. Experience doesn't change. I mean, even if you go watch a 3D movie, a 2D movie, and then an IMAX movie, the experience doesn't change all that much. Your neck gets sore from looking up at the IMAX. Maybe your eyes get sore from watching the 3D for too long. That's I couldn't give it a check. I got an X. I didn't expect this to happen. I sat here with these ten categories expecting that I could pick a winner. I gave eight checks to the arcades. The arcade experience is a fabulous experience. I miss. The other day I was at a bowling alley for my birthday. And I was playing. I was throwing the ball. I was having some beer. I was eating some... Well, I wasn't eating pizza. But I did get pizza later, later that night. But I was eating the snacks that were available. At the table. And I was having fun. And I was like, you know, every time I go to the bowling alley, I just want to play a Pac-Man game or something. Similar. They didn't have a game room. There was no Pac-Man. Haven't been able to go to a movie theater since the thing happened, and well, I mean, kind of kind of can, but it has changed. So I have a tie. I gave eight checks to theaters. I gave eight checks to arcades. You know, I think they're pretty similar. Very similar experiences. Arcades are kind of you know, they're kind of waffling a little. They're kind of making a resurgence after going away, but then they also started going away again. Movie theaters, I think they're going to stay around a while. But I think at the end of the day, both experiences are pretty rock solid, honestly, man. I love them. They're cool. I miss arcades. Right now, I miss going to the theater. Although not that much, because I haven't had any movies come out that I've been dying to see. But there you go. This week's this or that. Which one is better? Movie theaters or video arcades, they're the same to me. I, I can get as much out of either one. I didn't even sit here and talk about the places where I went that they had a movie a video arcade inside the movie theater. Huh. Maybe it was a game room or maybe it was a full-blown arcade. Maybe it was just a single machine standing there waiting for you to put your quarter in while you're waiting for the movie to start. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I can tell, one is not better than the other. They're very similar experiences. Thanks for playing. Stay cool. Uh, that's the end of the show. So thank you for watching. Thank you for sticking around. And uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can go to Facebook and just type in Stephanie Bree blog. If you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, it's StephanieBree22. My website is StephanieBree.com. You can also go to uh, patreon.com slash stephaniebree and you can get goodies 
there's three tiers right now. So you can get a shout out. Obviously, all Patreons get a shout out. So, you know, hey, be cool like my new patron. Um, you can get access to the podcast a couple of days early. I record these on Sunday or Saturday, but they come out on Sunday. If you're a Patreon supporter, otherwise you have to wait till Wednesday when they go public. I record videos. You can see my face. Mm-hmm. I'm lighted. Ah, I've got a microphone. We're trying to be professional. If you want to be a part of the show and you want to support it, you can get you can get a full, uncut, unedited video with all the bumper music and everything. It's pretty cool. Otherwise, if you're going to go to the YouTube video, you're not going to get the YouTube video. You're not going to get the bumpers. Get monetized. I'm borrowing copyrighted. Um, but also, yeah, you know, um, that's a good. Thing. And also, once a month, I'm going to have a hangout, a Zoom hangout with my Patreon supporters. This month's going to be a little tricky because I only have the one so far. But, you know what? Maybe we'll make it work. Maybe we won't. We'll see. Thanks for listening or thanks for watching. If you're getting this from the YouTubes, subscribe, like, leave a comment, give me a thumbs up, and stay cool.